0: Hello and welcome. You've found omens and epiphanies. I'm Grace, and I'm trying to go on a journey to find some spirituality using the only thing I know pretty well, tarot. I'm glad you're here. This would be a great time to go make a cup of tea, or coffee, or hot cocoa, or get some water. I don't know. And maybe your favorite tarot deck or one thing I want to get closer to. It's also not a requirement that you have a tarot deck. You can do this without a tarot deck, it's fine. If you're in a car, please don't do those things. Just drive safely, take care of yourself. This episode is going to be the Empress and the Emperor, the third and fourth cards of the Major Arcana. I chose to do both for two reasons. One is because the issues surrounding them are largely the same. And two, because I'm on the fourth episode, but the third card, so I wanted to make those equal. Also, I've already started recording and I was in the wrong microphone and there's also been three trains that have gone by so far. So if you hear weird noises, it's because I miss them, but I'm doing my best. I promise. It's just me and my cats and my friends. Hello, friends. Okay, so the third card of the Major Arcana, we're going to start with the Empress. The number three in numerology is creativity, the meaning of joy and play. In The Fool's Journey, the fool meets the mother and is nurtured, says LearnTarot.com. In those same four decks I've been using, because they're kind of my favorites right now. So the empress in the Sun Moon Tarot is sitting, kind of hovering on a moon. She's wearing a green shirt and a red skirt. She's holding two flowers in her left hand and what might be a globe or a potion in her right hand. There's a dove that's flying down between two trees and kind of staring her in the face. And on the floor in front of her are two bunnies and five butterflies. There's also the Hebrew symbol for dal- dalet, or door and passage, in the bottom right-hand corner. She is, as all of these are, <laughs> quite pregnant. The tarot card from the Lightseers tarot is another pregnant woman, But her belly is full of the world. There's a literal earth painted on her belly. She has her eyes closed. She's nude. Um, Her arms are are doing something with her hair, which seems wild and free. It has leaves growing out of it. She has blue wings, but the feathers are fish. The moon is full above her, and it's, it's glowing down on her with this dotted light that circles her belly earth and it continues on. The Empress in the Steampunk Tarot is again pregnant. (laughs) Her hand is covering her belly, her um, other arm is upright and has a lightning fire coming out of it. It's kind of unclear which it is, but it might be both. She's looking at the camera with a uh, rusting bitch face, if if I've ever seen one. Uh, She's on a lounge chair, like one of the ones that only has a side and half of the back. There's also a pillow with the symbol of Venus on it, a table next to her, and a clock with a sun and a moon on it. It's pointing at 1010, if that means anything. The Empress from the Shadowscapes Tarot is not visibly pregnant. She's standing on a bridge made of branches, surrounded by roses the same color as her dress. There's a heart hanging down from her belt. Her white hair blends in with her white gossamer wings. She's holding a basket. And she actually might be a dryad because her fingers are just a little bit too long to be human. And there's butterflies circling the sun and coming down into her basket. I don't know if they're offering her gifts or taking them away. But she's reaching out towards the sun that they're circling. The Empress has gotten me in so much trouble reading because the only thing I can think of when I look at her is pregnancy. It's the only thing. And every time I do readings and I take a chance and I say, gosh, you might be pregnant, the lady goes, oh, no, no, that is impossible. I am far too old (laughs) or I don't have those organs or I haven't had sexual relations in years. Um, And so I'm always wrong. So I've always had an issue with the Empress personally. According to Tarot One Hundred and One, which you would think is my favorite book, but I actually hate it a little bit because the cards are not in order. It does the general feel, and then the feminine part, and then the masculine part, and then things that are neither. And I just wish it was in numerical order. <laughs> that would be great. I do like it because it has all of these symbols, though, and it does it very generally. So Venus. Tara 101 says is specifically the active feminine. It's actively creating and nurturing. The fruit, which isn't in any of these but is a common one that I've seen, is the completion of a creative process. And the pregnancy (laughs) capital T, capital P is quote, the obvious symbol of the creative process, emphasizes the fact that creativity involves the full effort and hard work on the part of the creator. The Tarot Handbook, which is in order, <laughs> specifies that when the woman is facing a dove, it means that wisdom is within. A swan, if you see it, is about transformation. And a globe is the ability to explore worlds with equal agility and personal confidence. That was a direct quote from that book, too. My friend, Rosa, uh, specifies that the Empress has always mean to her, quote, encouraging growth through running free and natural experience. And uh, she'll show up in a reading because she needs to chill with the rules. (laughs) And I'm just going (laughs) to make sure that that's in quotes, too. Tarot 101 says that the mother is traditionally full of creative potential and abundance. I'm going to do a guest deck on the show today, which is the Numinous Tarot. Numinous meaning mysterious. I love Numinous. I've never read with it. But I go to it for the queer version of the tarot. It's amazing. So the the third card in the Major Arcana, according to Numinous, is the Nurturer. And it's an androgynous folk sitting in a field. Their legs are crossed and their hands are crossed in front of their belly. Their eyes are closed. They have a crown on. There's some sort of symbolism above their crown. There's a flower and a couple of stacked rectangles and squares. And they're leaning against a pillar with flowers growing out of it. I love that it's the nurturer because that's that's what I was looking for. I wasn't looking for pregnancy. I needed something that was more nurturing and creative. Now I get it. It's great. The emperor, on the flip side, is the father. It's the father that the fool meets. And from him, he learns structure, authority, and rules. Again, says uh, learntarot.com. And the four numerology is about focus creating a foundation and constraints the sun and moon tarot has a i i would even venture to say teenage boy but he's definitely got the big baggy pants and the the striped shirt that i grew up with he is holding a globe in his hands it is vaguely green and blue so i would assume it's the earth he's on a red chair that's slightly too big for him and that red chair is on top of a stump And next to him is a sheep. There's also a a shield next to him with two birds. Or a double-headed dragon. Not certain. There's two ram's heads on the top of his chair. And there's three bees floating away. The sun is either rising or setting. It's not clear from this picture. On the bottom is the Hebrew symbol high, I think. uh, Which is a window or perception. The light seer's tarot has a man with darker skin he has a red shirt on with orange pants and he's sitting on a chair that actually resembles Mars like it's a red planet that he's somehow sitting on there's a ram skull on the wall he's holding the king chess piece and on his left arm is the ankh the ankh is the Egyptian key of life I had to look that up on google and he's got really cool shoes on (laughs) (laughs) He's got these like brown leather shoes that you know he's worn for a while and they're not really tied. They're just got the laces straight across, which means they have some cool tie some other way. He's looking off into the distance just past my shoulder and there's a white light coming down and flowing through. Touches the back of his head and the king symbol or the king chess piece. Also he's got glasses in his pocket and suspenders on. What a dapper guy. The emperor in the steampunk tarot sits on a throne, rimmed with gold, but the fabric is a red leather. He has a suit on with a pin on his shoulder. He has his hands in such a way that his fingers are laced together and his thumbs are touching. He has a single monocle on and goggles on his head, and he looks very knowingly at me. His shoes aren't as cool as the other emperor's, though. On his chair are three gears and the... Four alchemical symbols for earth, wind, water, and fire. Indicating that he has all of those at his fingertips. He can reach out and dull any of those out at any time. There are keys around the symbols for air and earth. The final emperor from this Shadowscapes Tarot is a quite skinny man in red robes. He's holding a globe in his hands that has the silhouette of a dragon in it. His left hand is covered in a gold gauntlet. He has two horns on his head. I thought they were bull horns, but with all the rams, I'm assuming they're ram horns. There's a green oak leaf on his forehead, An onk is hanging from his right horn, and he's kind of wrapped up in, in a tree. There's Dryad sitting on the branches. Behind him is a stone wall that's been etched with dragons and horses and a tentacle and the sea, rams... An oak leaf face, birds, a moon, a snake, an eagle, the sun, the moon. Everything is behind him. He, like the other emperor, has the world at his fingertips. Terra One says that the throne most of these emperors sit on is about their rule. And specifically that most of these are cubed shaped, which is about matter and solidarity. The red and the symbol of Mars, or fire in some cases, specifically is about the active masculine and activity. The ram has links to Aries or Mars, which is a sign of action, masculinity, extroversion, and is ruled by the god of war, Aries. The ankh, I've already said, is the Egyptian key of life. And there's usually some sort of coins or money involved, the ability to make things stable, solid, and secure. And I thought the bees was kind of fun. Uh, They're specifically, quote, all leadership requires vision. Tarot 101 says that the emperor is the readiness to take on action and responsibility, stability and manifestation in the material world, and can be seen as a father figure. That same friend Rosa specifically said that the emperor to her means that it's somebody who encourages growth using structure. And she... Also related the two being that the empress was about the gap year and the emperor was about a year in college. My friend Alec says that the emperor shows up because they need more structure. And I love that they just showed me those two different sides of themselves between Alec and Rosa. They're different people, but they're good friends. My guest deck, the Numinous Tarot, has renamed this card to be the founder. I would say she. It's hard to tell gender in the Numinous Tarot, which I love. But I think we're assuming femininity here. She has curly blonde hair, but darker skin. She's wearing a black jacket with a black shirt underneath that. I think it has the fleur de lis on it. Again, I've never taken French, so I don't know if I'm even saying that right. But she's holding a staff with two prongs on the end of it. And on the back end are dangling three small globes. It's hard to see what they are. Her throne is a brick wall. She sits on, and there's a little bit of blackberry bush climbing up it. There's also what looks to be a shield behind her. And behind her are the symbols for Mercury. Maybe the elements. Mars, the symbol for Saturn and the Sun. Also the non-binary symbol. There's also a moon on the wall behind her. So she seems to be in touch with all of the planets. What a queen. The founder. I'm not particularly drawn to the art style of the numinous tarot, but I think I might just get it (laughs) for the sake of having something that's a little bit more accessible to everybody. Speaking of which, an article by Cassandra Snow called Queering the Tarot, 3 and 4, The Empress and the Emperor, posted July 7th, 2015, walks us through why it's important to have non-binary cards They write, most readers, at least at the professional level, have figured out how to read around gender in the court cards, but these present a different challenge. To truly queer these two, you have to be willing to throw out the gendered notions of them, not only to acknowledge the same-sex relationships, but to acknowledge the experience of transgender people, including those who don't identify on the binary. Furthermore, the way these cards interpret mother and father is troublingly outdated in a world where dads often stay home and do the nurturing moms are frequently charged with both roles, and many people aren't even raised by their birth parents. The empress, boiled down to simplicity, is someone who is nurturing and creative with lots of love to give. She says this describes many men and genderqueer people in my life as it does women. I would actually argue that since I run a primarily queer circles, this is more likely to represent a non-female friend than not when it shows up for me. We have to take the life experience of those falling under their specific identity into account as well as the culture of the queer community at a given time. The negatives of this card do not have to be feminine either. The issues may not be with a mother figure at all, just someone in the queen's life who is overbearing, or indicate that a system of support and nurturing has been absent or taken from a life. I will say that I never read upside-down cards, or what we call reversed cards, as negative. I always say that they are inside of you. They're inverted. Um, They're inverted because they're inside. So... Instead, I would say that you need to have that energy, you need to work on your creativity and bringing something to life, rather than saying that it's not that or something overbearing. But uh, a common thing in the tarot circles is to read it as a negative thing. And then she goes on to say the emperor in its simplest form is about control and stability, or often someone who is too controlling. It can also indicate a lack of stability. Again, not uncommon at all for LGBTQIA persons. This one queers a new way, though. The Emperor can also be indicative that something in the querants experience is being hurt or damaged by our society or legal system. If this card is about being allowed to call it on our own shots in life, even with all the personal support in the world, it remains true that there are rights and dignities not afforded to queer people that severely impact the ability to fully take control of our lives. Then she brings up members of the kink community that a card of control might not be negative at all. That might be something that they're looking for. So that should be taken into account too. And then finally, she says, thinking of these cards as mother and father is not only outdated, but does not take into account the unique experiences queer people face long after leaving the rule of their parents. Not only do our relationships look different, but how we navigate through society is different. Tarot should help people transform their lives into the best possible version of it. And if we look at the Empress as nurture and creation, and as the Emperor as stability and control as well as leave room for intuitive and alternate interpretations, that's going to be a lot more beneficial in helping most querants of any identity do so. So that was Cassandra Snow. Okay, so that's my rant about why why the emperor and the empress should not be as binary as they are, and should rather be seen as forces in your lives that are not necessarily tied to one gender or the other, or any gender. We're going to move on to the spiritual side of this, which I thought I was actually going to have enough just with that. yeah this is going to be a little bit of a longer episode but it's okay Uh, because a lot of it was stopping for the train so maybe it'll be shorter than I thought so the second part of this is the is the perception of the lack of male witches and what we should call them so I'm going to start with a a book called Invisible Men The Historian and the Male Witch by Laura Apps and Andrew Gow published on July 30th, 2018 they claim and this I've seen this a lot of times that 70 to 80% of the people tried for witchcraft back in the back in the day, back in the 1600s or whatever, were females with few exceptions. And oh sorry, were females. They say in quote, with few exceptions, modern scholars see witch see the witch as essentially female and that there's a quote, agreement that male witches are neither as interesting nor as important as female witches and therefore that they are not proper witches, with the word proper being in extra quotes. They continue to say that commonly male witches are mentioned once or twice and then forgotten, and witches are referred to subsequently as if they are exclusively female. And they give a really good example in that paragraph where an author, a historian, said, you know, blah, 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 there were male witches, and then literally less than a sentence later says, she was very powerful, and goes on to only use she, her pronouns throughout the entire section, if not the entire paper. And why is that? <laughs> why are they not as important? Well, it turns out that in the olden days, uh, women were accused of poisoning and malevolent nature, whereas men who used magic aimed to procure opposite effects, like curing illnesses, blessing harvests and doing weather magic. Those are also called, quote, more traditional forms of magic. And specific occupational groups of men were the ones that were claimed to be witches, which is shepherds, blacksmiths, and clerics. They also say that male suspects in the witch trials were generally relatives of accused women or in some sort of circle with women. And it was difficult. I love this. I just love this visual. It was difficult to accommodate beliefs about orgies at the witches' Sabbath to a predominantly male population of witches. I love that because the popular culture has these videos of women naked, dancing in the woods, summoning Satan. And the historians are like, eh, men probably didn't do that. <laughs> it was only ladies. <laughs> There's no way. There's no way a man would do that. Good golly. And then we get down to this. Uh, very specific, very honest thought. So there was a binary in early Europe, where there was this dichotomy, the stark dichotomy, black versus white, good versus evil, male versus female, right? So that was that, that binary cognitive framework that we're going to talk about in just a second. So because they thought that men did the good things, right, they did, they cured the illnesses they blessed the harvest, they did weather magic, and so on and so forth. Witches were thought of as wholly negative, as inversions of everything good. And within that binary of good versus evil, that means that they certainly can't be male. And I'm being very sarcastic about that. But early Europe would have thought that male is the most pure, thoughtful, good thing on the planet. So if something is wholly negative as the absolute opposite of everything good, they would be female. That's just how that would work for them. So <laughs> the only reason that we don't have modern modern male witches that are more common, or if somebody asks you to name a witch, you don't think of a man, it's because historians were like, there's no way they had orgies. Also, men are too pure. <laughs> Oh, I can't. Okay. So that's, uh, that's all from that Invisible Men, the historian and the male witch. There was an article published on October 30th, 2019, um, by Douglas Greenwood. That's called Lessons from the Other Realm. Being a male witch in 2019 is complicated. And it follows the story of Michael who is on Instagram as old ways, but it's old L-D-E. Like ye olden days, but old ways. Um, who is a male witch and he's been practicing for a very long time. He grew up with a family member reading tarot and there would be women lined up out the door to get tarot readings. And he, he just got excited about it and he wanted to do it too. And when he got old enough, they started telling him, you're not a witch, you're a boy. <laughs> you're a warlock or a wizard. And so he breaks it down why he is a witch and not a warlock or a wizard. So he says, first of all, witch is a verb. It's something you do. Witchcraft is not inherently one thing or another. And, quote, wizards are predominantly Celtic figures who act as spiritual guides and mentors. It's specifically acting as a spiritual guide and a mentor. If I'm a baby witch, as they call me, I'm not a wizard. I'm not a a spiritual guide or a mentor for you. I could be. I probably am in specific things, but not in everything. Okay, and then I did not know this. This is what I really wanted to share with you. Warlock is a term used if someone broke their oath. If someone was facing imprisonment for witchcraft and someone sold you out, that person would be a warlock. So we don't call male witches warlocks, (laughs) y'all. Not in my... (laughs) I almost said not in my cult. Not in my spiritual practice. No, no. If somebody decides to use the term warlock, that is their prerogative. It's just we're not locking men out of witchcraft. This is 2021. We're breaking free. In there, they also quote another spiritual practicer who's a male witch um, who says that holding space for women is vitally important to me. He goes on to say that a lot of women have been wronged by men, hurt by men, and they need a space without men. He also says, quote, women excluding men from the practice is not something I take issue with at all there are even Facebook groups for men, for male witches looking for community. But it's not a close practice. It's not female only. It's just historians decided that men couldn't be part of an orgy. <laughs> Which I still find, I don't know if that's just me that finds that funny, but I certainly find that funny. Okay, but he goes on to clarify that trans-exclusionary witchcraft is, quote, bullshit and gross. And trans-exclusionary is where a person believes that the only way somebody is a quote true female if they were born with ovaries and experience a period if you are a trans woman they think you're not a woman I hate to I hate to spill the tea Um, JK Rowling the author of Harry Potter is a trans exclusionary radical feminist which is uh, a TERF T-E-R-F and so there's a lot of people in the community that are just so mad (laughs) Because Harry Potter opened up worlds of magic for us and opened up ways for people to believe that they can do amazing things that they can do. And to learn that in this community, we are so welcoming to everybody. we better be. Come at me if you're not. <laughs> I'll fight you. But to learn that the person who opened up a lot of our worlds is it is turf a trans exclusionary radical feminist that hurt that hurt a lot i still identify as a ravenclaw (laughs) but i don't like to give her money you know like that kind of thing okay what did i learn today i learned that the empress and the emperor are not uh necessarily the mother and the father instead they are as my friend said um encouraging growth one is through creativity and being free and wild in nature and the other one is through structure and maybe college or some sort of some sort of structure like that and there are male witches they are called witches not warlocks because warlock is a person who sold you out male witches don't show up as much because they're not as cool and because they couldn't possibly be part of an orgy that's all I hope you join me next week for the Hierophant. I'm actually really excited for this because I am a teacher and I think of it more as a teaching perspective rather than a Pope kind of thing. So we're going to talk about that and I'm super excited. So I'll see you then. Um, If you didn't learn anything, I'm sorry. (laughs) If you know everything, email me. So I just know to bring you on the show and do all that. You can email me at omensandepiphanies at gmail.com, all spelled out. You can also tweet me. I'm on Twitter at omens epiphanies because Twitter reduces the number of characters you can use in a name. So I couldn't put the and in there like a jerk. I'm also on Facebook and Instagram at omens and epiphanies. I tried to use the ampersand on those two because I liked it better, but I probably shouldn't have. And you can also go to my website that I need to update a little bit for omens You can get a hold of me in any of those ways. I would love to hear from you know maybe what your perspective is, or if you have any cool non-binary tarot decks that you love that have similar art to what I like. And I'll see you next week. Okay, bye!